Something for Nothing, the Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, we've got another episode that was born from our trip to St. Catharines. Yeah, I mean, the trip is really paying dividends for us, right? And just the cool people that we met who still want to talk to us. It's crazy. It really is. The trip that keeps on giving. <laughs> right. You can find us on Twitter, at least for now, at Rush Fancast. <laughs> you never know what Elon Musk is going to do, right? You're not going to pay eight bucks to get the blue check marks anymore, Steve? <laughs> no way. No way. If we're not on Twitter by the time this episode airs, you can find us on Instagram at the Rushcast. Email therushcast at gmail.com. The base intro and outro. That's Lex, of course. Rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And Jared, I hope you have a great email to get us started, as you always do. I do. So a couple of weeks ago, months ago, it's hard to tell exactly. We were talking about some of the heaviest Rush songs, or what might be considered some of the heaviest Rush songs. Right. If you yep. remember that. I remember. So Stephen sent me this email. It's very short, but it has a link. It says, you guys were recently talking about heavy Rush songs, and this rang a bell. I remember reading this back in the spring, and it's a link to an ultimate classic rock top 10 heaviest Rush songs. Oh, cool. So I want to I read you the songs, Steve, and you can tell me whether or not you agree that they're the heaviest. Okay. Number 10 is Far Cry. That's a heavy song. I'll, I'll agree with that. That's a heavy song, right? Number nine is Bastille Day. That's a heavy song, too. I'm... So I, I think that should have been a little bit higher. That's a pretty heavy song. Number eight is Driven. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't see Driven above those other two, but okay. Right. I think it's maybe just because of the chorus, right? The chorus doesn't, doesn't sustain the, the heaviness. Yeah, yeah. Then the next one is One Little Victory, number seven. Okay. That's great, right? Number six is Cygnus X1, book one, The Voyage. Yes, I would put that on my top 10, sure. For heaviest songs? See, I wasn't, wouldn't put that as one of the heaviest songs. One of the strangest songs, absolutely. I think it's heavy. Okay, we'll have to agree to disagree, Steve. Number five is Carnies. Okay. Which I wouldn't have picked either from Clockwork Angels. I would have picked probably Headlong Flight. Yep. But that's just me. Number four is What You're Doing from the debut album. Okay, all right. But again... I don't know. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have put that song either. Number three, definitely a heavy song. Anthem. Yes, definitely. That's a no-brainer, right? Number two is "Stick It Out." That is heavy. It's a heavy song. I'm not sure if it's my number two, but it's heavy. Yeah. And number one is "Working Man." Yeah, I guess. But again, it wouldn't be my number one heaviest Rush song. No, I didn't prepare what my heaviest Rush song would be, but it wouldn't be "Working Man." It might be Far Cry. Number 10 might be my number one, maybe. Really? I probably would have gone for maybe Anthem or Bastille Day. Okay. Or 2112, at least the Overture and Temples, right? Yeah. I wouldn't go What You're Doing. I wouldn't go with Driven. But hey, to each his own. Right. We're not writing for Ultimate Classic Rock Magazine. No, we're not. <laughs> it's not even a magazine, is it? It's only online. Thanks, Stephen, for the email. That was interesting for sure. Jared, over the past three years, we've been lucky enough to speak to many people who are close to Neil Peart. Joe Bergamini, Rob Wallace, Kevin J. Anderson, Hugh Syme, just to name a few. But no one was as close to the professor as today's guest, Neil's youngest sister, Nancy Peart Burkholder. Welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you very much. It's a little exciting to be here. It's so exciting for us to have you. 
We usually ask Nancy, our guests, their Rush origin story, but I'm guessing you became aware of Rush at a very young age. Can you tell us about that? Well, I was so young that I didn't really know what it was all about. So uh, my earliest, biggest memory, I think I was about 10, and we were at Massey Hall, and I think they were opening for Nazareth. I could be wrong. I'm not uh, up on facts at all. So, you know, some of the people can correct me on that. But (laughs) I remember being on the front balcony and uh, it was just kind of surreal. It was very loud. I do remember that. Probably why I have a hearing issue to this day. But yeah, I was about 10. So obviously things happened before that. I always, you know, the garage was always loud. There's quite an age difference. Neil was the oldest. I'm the youngest. So I didn't get in on all of the what's going on. I was kind of up in the attic with my grandma in an apartment. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, it was lots of fun. You know, that's something we have in common. I also have a hearing problem due to Rush. So, I mean, <laughs> something we have in common. I'm pretty sure the uh, audiologist asked me if there was anything, you know, that could affect my hearing in the past. And I'm thinking, well, let's see. Since I was 10, we were always on the floor and we came out of the shows with the ringing ears, couldn't hear for two days. Yep. And she was just like, yeah, that probably had something to do with it. Yeah, that's that's what I told my audiologist, too. She was like, you shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, eh, well, 30 years later, it's too late. <laughs> yeah, too late. Who knew? <laughs> now, since there was such an age difference, Nancy, had Neil already moved out of the house when you were very young? No, um, we were in, we call it the Port Dalhousie house. Obviously, we were in three different ones. The one that I remember most of my age um, was when I started public school and Neil was there. So he had a room in the downstairs. That was the 36 Dalhousie house that I think some fans like to go on the property still and, you know, scope it out. But (laughs) um, no, he was there then. And when my sister got married, he came and picked me up and he had just bought a Lotus. So he and I arrived in style at my sister's (laughs) wedding. And that was kind of when they really started to make it. And what year would that have been? Um, I think that was probably either 74. Probably, yep, the October of 74, maybe, maybe 75. Right after he joined the band. Yeah. What did you think of Rush's music as a young person, hearing it for the first time? I don't know if I listened to it a whole lot in the (laughs) early days. Through my teens, I was, you know, on the pop side of music. I took dance and everything was Madonna, Whitney Houston, So I think, obviously, I knew it all. And there were some that always stuck with me, but I didn't have it, you know, on in my basement. (laughs) (laughs) Not like us. You didn't have it cranked every day. (laughs) No, I kind of like the ones with more rhythm and the poppier ones that kind of stuck with me. I have three girls and uh, still to this day, our dance teacher was huge fan she owned the studio she always had she had brothers so her repertoire went from 
ACDC, Rush, you know, we did a lot of really rock cool numbers. And um, my oldest got to do an Afro dance to Tom Sawyer. So, and it was really cool the way the rhythms worked with their number. So that's kind of crossing the two paths from the dance world and the rock world. So as Neil and Rush began to rise to stardom in the 70s and 80s, what was that like from the family's perspective? What were your thoughts as Rush got bigger and bigger? I think it was just really cool because we only really realized it when we were at the shows, how big it really was. You know, we used to go to Buffalo and Toronto and wherever they were close, we would go. But he was always just Neil when he was at home. So it was very, a very different life. Um, even for all of my sister, all our kids, he was just like goofy Uncle Neil. He wasn't this big icon. <laughs> so it, uh, I think that's where it's very different for us was it was just, oh, you know, Neil's here this weekend. Okay, let's have, you know, a barbecue or whatever. Right. Yeah, that's the one thing I, that a lot of fans don't really understand is that their favorite rock musicians are people, right? Yeah, and very, I mean, in our case, very, I'd say normal, but very family-oriented, like not, I mean, he probably couldn't get away with any type of ego anyway in our family <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> I think between my kids and my sister's kids, they let them know how normal he was every time they were together. (laughs) So there's a lot of inside jokes that happened. And still, there's a lot that one words we can say that, you know, just kind of put him in his place. So, (laughs) Well, from the outside looking in, it seemed to me that he was prouder of being a father, a son, a brother, and an uncle more than being a star drummer. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that in his case, that was his work. So he would go to work and that was his job. And even when we went to see them on tour, he would only have time really for my parents. And then usually one or two, if the girls had a friend, they could go backstage and talk to him. He was never about seeing anyone backstage. He had to prepare for his job. So there was never any pre-show parties. Um, Afterwards, we were really lucky if he came out to say hi. Usually he was, you know, he's famous for running out and getting on the road. So it's only if they had like a two or three day stay that we would actually see him in between. And usually it was just my parents would go stay with them wherever they were. So, yeah, very, um, you know, we'd have like a family lunch or something totally normal and (laughs) non-glitzy he's all about the sandwich you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right it's was that is that a is that a real that's real really (laughs) yeah and uh our family's kind of a soup and sandwich type lunch anyway which is you know the other side that's just totally normal you know you're not gonna have a steak before you go to work for three hours so right yeah Gonna have his favorite sandwich backstage. Yeah. <laughs> and my dad's the same way, soup and sandwich all the way. <laughs> right. 
Now, all Rush fans know, Nancy, that Neil's privacy was very important to him. Of course, the song Limelight. Was that a big struggle for him or was he able to manage it really well? It seemed like he had it under control. Um, he, when he was able to do things his way, it was great. Like he rode his bike a lot in the beginning. He would ride his bike through Toronto and loved it because nobody knew who he was. Same with basically all over the world. He would tour on his bicycle first. And then the motorcycle was just phenomenal, you know, big helmet. There's thousands of them on the road. Nobody knew it was him. So, yeah, he had a really hard time being idolized, especially in person. So I think that's why he was just so comfortable with family, because we never let him get that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what nieces and nephews are for, right? Exactly. Cut, cut you down to size. Exactly. And they do. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> now, when Rush started, you know, obviously they they became really, really popular, obviously, after moving pictures, but their music also changed around that time. Did you start coming more into the Rush appreciation when they left kind of the proggy stuff, the real hardcore proggy stuff behind? Definitely for me, yes. Um, then, you know, anything you can sing along to or, you know, in the car, and, um, especially the, the rhythm. Um, I also took dance when I was young and just the rhythm really sticks and it just, you know, makes it more fun to listen to. I don't play an instrument. So I was a dancer and an athlete. And so for me, it wasn't about, you know, hearing the chords and the strings and whatever and trying to figure out how to play it. It was more the rhythm and how you could dance to it. And a lot of that stuff you really couldn't. Right. <laughs> so in the uh, in the later years, definitely became a lot more fun to kind of just groove to, especially in the car. Do you have a favorite Rush album? No, no. I just like, you know, different songs off of all of them. And um, just some of them stick more than others um we've always had fun with roll the bones in our house so because i think, think all my kids probably know those words <laughs> so but it's, it's the, the rap uh, right yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't ask me to ever do it because i definitely could not but um i think steve can do it steve can you do the rap right now oh, for us god no, no. <laughs> <laughs> So Nancy, since Neil passed away, we've talked to so many Rush fans that all had the same reaction that Jerry and I did when he died. We all felt like we lost a member of our own family. Does that surprise you that fans felt as close to Neil as your own family? Well, actually, from hearing the stories, I have felt so much closer to people because I have had so many people share stories with me. And I, in turn, share them with my mom because she's like in total awe of fandom and uh, the stories coming out of people and just how the lyrics saved them, how the music saved them. Like some of the stories have been phenomenal. So knowing how people related, especially in teen years, how so many people related to lyrics and it helped them, then it's so much easier to understand that and now I work with a lot of fans doing auctions and I appreciate them so much it's crazy now what do you think it is about 
Rush's lyrics that touches people that way because we've talked to a lot of people and they've all like Steve said they all say the same thing but they were also really connected lyrically some lyrics just stay with them they print them on t-shirts they make collages out of them they tattoo themselves with these lyrics do you have any insight into what it was about Neil's writing that really got to people I think it's just not only are they very um heartfelt like they're honest so there's no just you know f this f that it's all very it makes you think and everybody can interpret lyrics in a different way and i think that's why it connects to so many people because they can relate them to their own life whether they're from you know i had one man from africa i had a lot from the southern states and over in europe and just the different way that they relate to the lyrics even though they're the same lyrics um is just profound in some ways and the lives that some of these people had were just incredible and how they relate to them it's kind of a testament to how people's minds work and they can make those lyrics relate to them. I think it's just that he tried so hard to be a regular guy and let the fans know that he's just one of them, that the fans felt like they were just like him. Except for the practice, right? (laughs) (laughs) And the dictionary brain. (laughs) Right. My mom used to ask him to speak in English when he was, um, speaking and in his lyrics she's like can you just write down what that means because i have no idea right because they weren't like you know just straight ahead rock songs or the you know what does that word mean (laughs) (laughs) as you said i've said it a couple of times you know it's like a typical rush song is about you know the manhattan project you know like any other rock song that you hear on the radio right yeah yeah for the future you know (laughs) yeah Little things like that, like. So, Nancy, let's talk about the recent Night for Neil tribute concert. First of all, it was such a great night that you and your family presented. How difficult was it to delay the show so many times because of COVID? Uh, well, the the Overtime Angels were the um, heart and soul of this event. Tracy McClelland had worked with us since the very beginning giving us the idea. She's been close to us since we started doing auctions and just an amazing person. So she ended up kind of being our liaison and would run dates by us. So we were just the supporting cast. They did all the work. Um, Tracy did all of the VIP stuff. She was our family liaison and she also organized all the entertainers and their needs and things like that and uh i think she got missed on a couple of the acknowledgements and i just wanted to throw her the biggest foam that you can have because she worked her butt off she has a full two full-time jobs now i think and then was trying to deal with this so every time there was a delay it was just such a major issue Um, not only for the ticket holders and those making travel plans, but um, of course for the Canadian government that's putting new sanctions in and trying to 
restructure the entertainment process and the venue and tickets. And it was a nightmare every time. So every time it got switched, there was another little discussion on if it should happen. <laughs> so we're like, well, if you guys, you know, want to keep trying, we'll keep trying. So we're there for you, whatever you need. As time kept moving on and on, we had more of our family get involved. And um, so by the time it happened, I think it was a great time for it to happen that we got so many more people on board that just needed that venue to be able to meet and, you know, have something. So we had had our own family event um, right after Neil passed. We had an event in Santa Monica, so we were all there. But to be able to do it for the fans, it was just a great night. Uh, my mom was there, and I think all my nieces and nephews from that side were there. So it was just really special that it actually happened. And it happened in a big way. It was much more of a production than we ever imagined. So they definitely did a great job with that. You know, one of the things I felt when I was at the show is something I had just kind of forgotten about is being in a huge room full of Rush fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seeing a concert and, and seeing it, the dedication of all of these fans and how much they were into the show. And so how did you enjoy the show? All the, everybody. Well, a lot of it, I kept getting pulled out to meet more people. We were up in a box and um, it was, so I was down obviously for the beginning and did the thank you. And I was trying to get back up to our box because I wanted to see the David Quartet from up above. Um, I've known Liza now for two years. She came and was in our golf tournament for two years. So I was so excited. I got to see her backstage and I just said, I'm just running up. Well, I had pulled my sciatica and my knee was locked. So I was limping to get up there, first of all, and had to talk to everybody on the way. So I got up there just in time, which was great. And then I would just sit down and then I get a tap on the shoulder like, oh, this person wants to meet you. So of course I go out again. But I've been running charity events since, I guess, April of 2020. So um, I've been with a lot of fans on the internet. You can't, couldn't meet because of COVID. Uh, a lot of them I knew by name. And so, of course, as soon as I'm in the hall, I'm hearing them calling me <laughs> and have to stop and see them. It's great. It was really nice to have that in person. But um, from I got to see bits and pieces of each group. I missed some of the videos. So I'm hoping they have, you know, a little fire stick out soon that we can all have a <laughs> USB copy and I can sit down and actually watch it in entirety. But um, I was up there for the garden and I took my own pictures because that was absolutely phenomenal. So I just think the whole style of planning they did for it was just really heartfelt and they put a thought into how they presented the show and uh, they just did really well. 
And Nancy, your daughter Ramona wrote an incredible tribute to her uncle. And the video was played at the show, incorporating a lot of the lyrics that Neil wrote with Rush. Can you tell us about this song and how it came about? Um, it was the same. It's Han and Neil were very close and he's always supported her from day one. She's a dancer, musician, choreographer, photographer, artist. She has that art side. And um, they've always had that teasing relationship as well. And he was probably her biggest supporter. And so we had, he passed away on the 7th. Um, the notice went out on the 10th and we were under radio silence during that time. So that was the name of her song and kind of how that hit her during that time that she couldn't tell anybody. And we had one hour notice before it went live to the nation. So that's kind of her way of getting through that period. And yeah, it was phenomenal. But she also writes lyrics and the way her brain works is very similar. Really well written uh, with meaning and words that you don't all understand or we don't. <laughs> so <laughs> the same thing. And uh, yeah, it just became a really personal project for her. And so uh, when they were going to play it, um, she wasn't able to be there, but she said, yeah, they can play it. And it's a really same thing, personal look into that like uncle niece type of relationship. Yeah, it certainly was a moving video as well when they showed it. Yeah, I didn't get to see it because I was backstage and we were trying to peek around to see if we could see the screens, but it was too far ahead of us. So. So, Nancy, what are your thoughts on the new Lakeside Park Neil Peart Pavilion that was just built? It looks great. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, it was a big surprise that the name finally went on. So we were there, I think, the weekend before. My sister still lives in St. Catharines. And a lot of people had Photoshopped it for the year prior. So someone else posted it on, I think it was neil's birthday we were playing golf at the time at our tournament and i said oh is that you know another photoshop or is it real and so one of our players sent a friend to the park and sent us a picture and said yes it's real <laughs> so that was really a great moment and perfect timing for the night for neil all those fans got to go down get pictures and um, we're moving our golf tournament next year to Niagara. And I've actually booked the pavilion for the Sunday. And uh, the town's letting us, you know, all congregate there for the annual rush shirt picture, which my brother Danny challenged two years ago. And last year, I think we had 50 of us do the rush shirt picture at the golf tournament on the Sunday night. So I think this year we're going to get even more at Lakeside Park, which will be a really neat part of the tournament. And um, now with the statue um, or the statues, the process, we are so excited that Morgan got this commission. And I've been lucky enough to be at the Bronze Foundry twice. Uh, my daughter actually had an Airbnb in Newfoundland, and we just 
Morgan saw that I was there and he invited us to the foundry and we got to see some of his models and we were blown away with his, um, just his whole artistic impression. So we actually got to see his submission uh, before it was submitted. <laughs> so uh, my sister and I are going to fly back to Newfoundland before he's ready to cast it just to, you know, the face is going to change a little bit and we're going to get that goofy hat back on him, I think, on his drum kit. <laughs> so I said, you know, that receding peart hairline, that can't be in bronze. We got to put his hat back on. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and the artist's name is Morgan McDonald. Yes. Yes. So what did you think when you first saw Because I was surprised, too, that it wasn't, you know, uh, a more concrete kind of statue. I was thinking drums, obviously, but I don't yeah. really have an artistic mind. So I really love the fact that there are two different statues basically next yes. to each other because it really shows the whole scope of his entire artistic life. Is that how you feel about it too? Yes. And they're going to be at two separate sides of the pavilion. And even the way they're going to be placed has a meaning like everything he and an architect went through how to place them there's supposed to be interactive screens in between that when you go to the screen it plays a different song they had some type of um um i don't know what they call them drums but you hit things and it sounds like you're playing the drums and it's all things that um, can withstand time and weather and the way he did each of the statues is crazy. You can stand, it's obviously all the way around each statue, and you can stand there for an hour and find different things relating to an album or a piece of his life. Hmm. Or like, it's crazy. And we were doing that as, you know, people who don't know as much as fans know. <laughs> So the little touches he has on there are just crazy. I explained a couple of them to my mom because my mom didn't even understand the scope of how he designed it. And so after she got told, she was just like, oh, and it'll be really neat because there won't be someone there explaining it to people like they'll be probably Googling a lot of things. But um, yeah, the whole concept behind each piece is just amazing yeah i didn't know that they were going to be separated like that i yeah. when i saw the picture of them they it was just like one in front of the other with a little perspective but it's interesting they're going to be so far apart yeah and one i don't know the whole story i'm sure there'll be a big procedure about it one is um coming away from the port de Luzi steps that we grew up in and i think that's the younger one and then the other one is just down the path and it faces Toronto because that's where he went to. And the path is all around the pavilion and the interactive pieces in between kind of tell the story on the way. And then in the end one, he's passing off his drumsticks. So that's where he's finished. He had his hat off, but we're going to put it back on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it kind of tells the whole complete story where the other one is the young idealistic reader. And they kind of go into this path together. 
So the thought into this whole concept was just, it blew us away when we saw it. And we circled these things probably for an hour, just us in his foundry. And they weren't even the life-size ones yet. Like the work that went in just to this model is phenomenal. He's so talented. It's crazy. What do you think Neil would think about this memorial? Well, of course, he would scoff at anything, but uh, <laughs> but this is one of those ones where I know in the back of his mind, he would think this is really cool because it's not just him sitting on a drum kit. Right. Like it is um, a tower of books leading up to like the whole meaning behind it is just like he would develop lyrics. It's just so well thought out that it's... Um, yeah, by no means simple, which I know. And he's a lot like my grandfather who scoffed at a lot of things. You know, that would be his. <laughs> and uh, but in the back, you see his mind turning and there's a smile there. So I totally feel the same way. Do you know how the project is progressing? Obviously, there's a long way to go yet, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. I know um, fundraising started. They have an official link for fundraising. Now it kind of got my fundraising, you know, mind going as well. <laughs> so I've actually designed a T-shirt that we're going to work with Merch in Motion and have it's a bronze style T-shirt developed for just for the fundraiser. So all the profits will go towards this project. I'm hoping to have the design up by next week. Hugh Syme developed the base for me and my daughter's doing the font work on it. And uh, it should be really cool and something that, you know, you'll never get again. It's a legacy in bronze is the title. And um, it just has a tribute to Neil Peart at Lakeside Park. So we'll be pushing out the t-shirt soon. And then, you know, we have all kinds of crazy ideas working with the town of St. Catharines. I was there till I was 16. So I have a lot of friends still there. We're trying to think of fundraisers we can have. So we might have something the Saturday before our golf tournament at the Moose and Goose again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, have the Rush Tribute Band and another band and see if we can just raise some core money, go to some of the businesses I know and see if they want to throw in a donation. Um, it's a big project to do. So we figured, hey, if they're asking fans to put money in, then I think we should do our part too. So it's uh, we're all on board for this project. Well, the great thing is that future generations are going to learn about Neil Peart how do you think he is going to be remembered 50, 100 years from now? How would you like him to be remembered? I don't know. It's just that's where it's kind of neat that these statues are more than just a drummer because they kind of personify him more as a thinker. So especially the first statue, a thinker, a reader, you know, get your education, read books. I'm sure... They'll have their own stories going around St. Catharines. And I don't think the history is going to die out anytime soon. We have a lot of younger generations that luckily are invested in Rush music and know about it, hear about it, read about it. So 
hopefully just the the legacy lives on and definitely this lakeside park will be a visiting place for people which is great can you tell us a little bit more about the golf tournament nancy that you've mentioned a few times when is that going to be well, we're going into our third annual. Um, so this year we're going to Royal Niagara and Niagara on the Lake. And we, we've we had it in Muskoka the last couple of years. And we thought, hey, the pavilion's open. I think we need to bring it to Niagara. This is where we can help raise the most money, I think. We still have our two benefiting charities here. So we have Hospice Muskoka and the RVH Cancer Center in Barrie. And then um, we're adding Hospice Niagara as well this year. Um, I've worked a lot with them. They were one of the benefiting charities of the Night for Neil. And uh, I just know a lot of people and just great businesses in Niagara that I think we can make a lot more money for these charities. So already it's, you know, it's that much closer to the States for people to come as we saw in the Night for Neil. So it's August 28th, which is a Monday because, you know, you get the best deal on Monday. (laughs) So then we're having um, Sunday will be a lakeside park and then Saturday will be at the Moose and Goose. So we're already a three day event and uh, I have buses lined up. We have the holiday in Niagara on the Lake at the White Oaks as kind of, you know, hotels and I have buses lined up for Lakeside Park and for the golf tournament. I think we might have one for the moose and goose. I know I was working on that too. So yeah, if you guys are golfers, come on in. You don't have to be a great golfer. (laughs) Well, then we're in. Then we're in. We're not good. (laughs) No, it's a scramble and it's best ball. So uh, we are golfers have so much fun and we actually have some teams that are really really good but we also have prizes for the you know the ones who try hard right (laughs) so last year we had i think 10 ladies all the ladies won something because our whole sponsors had prizes for ladies (laughs) so it's uh, we have a hole in one prize um mario de la cruz has a diamond drum ring that's a hole in one prize we have amazing swag bags Um, we have roland and we had a snare by DW last year. I get them all in there. So it's just a really fun tournament. It poured rain on us last year and we still had 12 teams that finished the whole day. (laughs) They didn't care. You know, (laughs) once you're wet, it doesn't matter. And maybe, maybe the statues will be up by then. Possibly. I doubt it. I only because I know the work involved and he's starting from scratch now making life size. So he's got to make the clay and then the mold and then the bronze. So um, maybe by the 2024 tournament then. Yeah, I can keep bugging him. You know, that's probably (laughs) going to be my job. (laughs) Come on, Morgan. Is it ready yet? (laughs) How can people uh, join the golf tournament? So it's always been by invitation only. So um, we're opening it up a little more this year because we can have more people at the Niagara course. So we have a page on Facebook, the Peart Family Memorial Fund events. And if they just join the page, they can message me and I can send them the information. 
And then all of our registration is automatic. It's all online. We have a link and um, they just do it all online, register their team. And we go from there. We get, uh, you know, really cool golf shirts and lots of fun is had by all. We have Henderson Brewery there, Bench Brewery. We have a winery coming. We have Miss Jones Cannabis who sponsors a whole <laughs> So it's uh, definitely a lot of fun for golfers. <laughs> well, Nancy, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast and sharing your memories of your brother. His work meant so much to both Jerry and I and fans all over the world. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me, and you have a great show. So, Jared, Nancy was just as nice on the podcast as she was the day we met her in St. Catharines a few weeks ago. What a great, great guest. Yeah, it was great for her to, to come on. Uh, it was great to talk to her that night, too. It was kind of loud. Yeah. But we still shoehorned in a conversation in between the, the loudness. But I'm so happy that the Peart family was so happy with the night for Neil because it really was a great night. And they waited so long for that closure. You know, that's what I was kind of driving at when I asked her that question. Yeah. Because it's got to be hard to lose a loved one like that and then wait and wait for that closure. Yeah. I mean, just the planning that went into it and just to have it postponed again and again and again, just a drag really to all your hard work, just going down the drain every few months. Right. Right. But as she mentioned, the longer it dragged on, the more people jumped on board. So maybe it ended up being a way better show than it would have been. If they had thrown it together in two months, let's say. Yeah, that's true. And people were definitely looking forward to it more, possibly because it was postponed so many times. Then it became something to like, anticipate and right. go to. Right. But uh, we have to do this golf tournament. What do you think? Sure. You got to play golf first, though, Steve. You got to. I have to? You have to. You can't play golf for the first time at a golf tournament. Nancy said I didn't have to know how to play golf. Okay. <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to hit you know geese with your with a divot do you i mean it's really hard to hit a golf ball for the first time so you're gonna have to take me golfing before we go to the golf tournament sure i'll teach you all that i know it'll take 10 minutes <laughs> you can find us on twitter we're at rush fancast instagram find us at the Rushcast. email jerry let him know what you thought of our conversation with Nancy Peart Burkholder, therushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro, that's Lex. He's the best. Jerry, give us a great quote to wrap this one up. Uh, yeah, it's from the Wreckers. Ah, nice. All I know is that sometimes you have to be wary of a miracle too good to be true. All I know is that sometimes the truth is contrary to everything in life you thought you knew. All I know is that sometimes you have to be wary because sometimes the target is you. Or the pigeon with my golf ball. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Jeff. All right, see you.